All right, it's great to be here. You know, coming back always brings back such memories. It's hard to believe it was over 20 years ago that me and my wife decided to change churches and we walked into Calvary Chapel and it was meeting at the Far North Theater at the time. Uh, Skip was leading worship and we were able to enter in and then he began to teach and uh, it immediately felt like home. I know a lot of you guys have that same uh, feeling even now. A lot of you guys have had that same feeling where you've walked in and knew it was home. And it was only a few years later that we went over to Tucson. And uh, God is just doing such great things. And it's exciting to see what's taking place here. I uh, had a message to share with you that I had uh, worked out and been working on for a couple of weeks. And I had it all done on Friday morning. And I went on the internet just to kind of see what Skip has been teaching. And uh, I checked on uh, Sunday and saw it was in, I think, Genesis. And then I went to line online. And I kind of thumbed up to the date and I went to 9-4, September 4th. And it was the exact same text that I was going to share with. And I changed, I panicked, and I ran around, I put another study together. And I got it all worked out. And then here I was telling the story back just before we were getting ready to pray. And they said, no, he hadn't been in 1 Samuel for a year. That was a year ago. So now I found out I didn't have to change the message. So we're going to do two tonight, one out of 1 Kings 22 and one out of 1 Samuel. Open up your Bibles with me to uh, 1 Kings 22. We're going to take a look at the last days of a real creep, a guy by the name of King Ahab. Let's pray. And we will begin. Father, we want to thank you for your tremendous and awesome mercy in our lives. How good you have been to us. And Lord, as we see you with your tremendous and awesome mercy towards Ahab, if you can forgive Ahab, if you can work on Ahab's life because he humbled himself, then Lord, we know that you can work in our lives as well. And we want to be men and women who seek you. We want to be men and women with complete and total commitment. And so we pray now as we take time to look at the end of his life, that we would evaluate where we are, that the end of our lives may be good and bring glory to your name. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is, Tell Me What I Want to Hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Sometimes we are like that. We go to seek advice from someone and we want to kind of manipulate them a little bit. We know what we want them to tell us. And so we say things in such a way that we can get them to be on our side before they finally give advice. If you've ever done any counseling, it happens all of the time. People will come in and they will sit down and perhaps, you know, it's a lady who wants to divorce her husband. And you can tell within the first five minutes that she wants you to tell her, oh, by all means, divorce the creep. By all means. You have every right in the world. That's what she wants to hear. And I remember at one particular uh, counseling session, this was years ago now, one of the things that I would ask people when they would come in was, if we find out that the Bible doesn't really let you do what you want to do, are you going to not do it? And for the most part, people would say, oh, yeah, well, I want to do whatever God says. I want to follow God's word completely. 
And I asked this one lady that question, and she came in. First thing she said is, I want to get a divorce. And I said, well, if we find out from the Word of God that God really doesn't want you to get this divorce, then will you not get it? And she said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get it no matter what. And I said, then why are we here? What is the use of being here? But quite often, I think, not only are we like that when we are seeking advice from people, that we try to manipulate the situation, I think that we are like that with God at times. We know what we want. And it's not a matter of going to God and saying, Lord, can I have this? God, do you want this for me? It's a matter of us going to God and saying, please, God, give it to me. I want this. And it's really not a matter of seeking his direction, but just trying to get God to do what you want him to do. And I've learned something over the years that if God does not want something for me, no matter what that would be, no matter how much I want that, I don't want that. And if God wants it for me, then I certainly want it. We just purchased a new uh, facility, adding on to one of our campuses there in Tucson. And one of the things we kept announcing to the people, it was uh, 27,000 more square feet and at a great price. And we kept telling them, pray with us. Because so many churches have been destroyed during building projects. And if God wants that for us, then we want it. And honestly, if God doesn't want it for us, then we don't want it. We don't know what we'll do, but we don't want it if God doesn't want it for us. And the same is true in our lives. We need to come to that place where we say to God, Lord, no matter how much I might want something, I really ultimately want what you want. In our study today, in our chapter today, we find an individual, King Ahab, who was not concerned about what God wanted. And it may surprise you to find out that King Ahab was actually a believer. Now, we're fairly familiar with King Ahab because of his wife, right? Jezebel. We know a little bit about her. Also, Elijah was the prophet that most often came to Ahab. We're going to study about another prophet tonight that came to him. But Elijah was the prophet that most often came to Ahab. And we know that Ahab was a real creep. In fact, it is said of King Ahab that he did more to provoke God to anger than anyone before him. That's not a good footnote on the end of your life. When God says, you were the most wicked man that has lived up to date. But you remember after Ahab took Naboth's vineyard, actually his wife took it because he went home and pouted like a big baby. And when, when his wife took it and, and then he took it after Naboth had been killed, God sent Elijah to see him. And Elijah basically said, your days are numbered. And you're going to see great destruction in all of Israel because of your wickedness. And do you remember what happened? The Bible says that Ahab put on sackcloth and ashes. He humbled himself before God and he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to uh, Elijah again and told him, go back and tell Ahab because he has humbled himself. I will not bring this calamity in his day, but I will bring it in the days of his children. Not that the judgment was passed from the father to the son, but the son deserved judgment as well. But it's an amazing thing to me that God responded to Ahab's humility. Now, whether or not it was saving faith, we don't really know. There's some bit of controversy as to whether or not Ahab will be up in heaven. I fall on the side, this is my opinion, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, but I fall on the side of saying that Ahab will not be there. There are three surprises that we're going to have when we get to heaven. Number one, we've heard this before, is who's going to be there? 
will be surprised by who's there. Wow, you're here. I'm really surprised by that. <laughs> Number two, we're going to be surprised by who's not there. You mean that they didn't make it? You mean they're in the other place? No, you're kidding. The third surprise is that we are going to be there. And those are the surprises about heaven. And, and Ahab, again, it may surprise you to know that he was a believer. He believed that God existed. He believed God existed so much that when he was told by one of God's prophets that destruction would come, he turned and he repented that he might change that destruction that was coming his way. Do you know that it is possible to believe that God is there? It is possible to even fear God enough to make some changes in your life? To fear Him enough to make some changes that you might not see the calamity that could come into your life, but not really come to that place where you surrender everything? Not come to that place where you have taken your life to the Lord and say, I now trust my life to you. It's possible, and not only is it possible, it happens all the time. There are men and women who believe in God and have even made some sort of a commitment to God and have even changed their lives and maybe even go to church on a regular basis, but they've never really come to the Lord and said, God, I trust you with everything. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I want what you want for me and I will live my life for you now with everything that I have. I believe it is the commitment that God desires from every one of us. I believe God desires that commitment because the scriptures tell us that. That if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, we must deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow after him. It means that we pour our complete and total lives into the hands of God. That was not Ahab. Although Ahab believed, although he believed enough to repent, he didn't really trust God. And so some time passes from when he repented and God sent back Elijah to tell him that the calamity wouldn't come in his day. There's a war that takes place in Assyria. And then there's a time of peace. And now chapter 22 opens up. And this is the chapter that records Ahab's death. And what we find in this chapter is three contrasts. We find a contrast of two kings in the beginning. Then we find a contrast of prophets. And then we'll find a contrast in the kings once again near the end of this chapter. So we begin with verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 22. It says, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now you remember that at this point in history, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Ten tribes in one and Judah and Benjamin in the other. And they were really about the same size because of the phenomenal size of the kingdom of Judah. Jehoshaphat is the son of King Asa, who was a good king who ruled over Judah. Of course, Ahab is a wicked king and uh, did more to provoke God to anger than anyone before him. So then verse 3, so Judah comes down to visit the king of Israel. They have not been on friendly terms, by the way, for many years. This is an, an outreached arm by Jehoshaphat to reach down to make peace with Israel that they might come together. And so in verse 3, And the king of Israel, that would be Ahab, said to his servants, uh, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours? But we hesitate, hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. It was a city that had been taken by the Syrians years before. 
And now he's telling his servants, hey, it's our city and we hesitate to take it. We ought to go down there and get it. Verse 4, so he said to Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat. No, no, that's not what he said. He said to Jehoshaphat, will you go up with me and fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. It was a fancy way of him saying, yes, I'll go with you. Now, at this point, Ahab wants to go, but he hasn't asked God. He's like a lot of us when we're making major decisions in our lives. We just decide we want to do this. And after the fact, we come in and say, Lord, by the way, would you bless this? You decide you're going to buy a new house. You can put an offer in a new house. And once the offer is accepted, you say, please, God, let us make the payments. Let us be able to. Please, God, please, let us do this. It had nothing to do with God before by saying, Lord, do you want us to have the house? Can you speak to us? Can you touch our hearts? Can you give us peace in buying the house? But after it's been accepted, then you begin to worry. I sure hope I can make the payments and God, please help me out in this situation. That's Ahab. He's wanting to go and battle into war. He wants to do it. And he, quite frankly, is, is unlike Jehoshaphat in that he didn't want to seek God on it at all. He just wants to go and do it and kind of just assume that God will be with him. But Jehoshaphat is not like Ahab. Jehoshaphat wants to know if God wants him to go to war. So, verse 5, also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for me the word of the Lord today. I want to know, does God want us to go? And you can see Ahab going, oh yeah, yeah, okay, let's do that. So then we get to verse 6. So the contrast of the two kings here, one wanting to seek God and be directed by God, the other one just kind of coming in with an afterthought to seek the Lord. Verse 6, then the king of Israel gathered all the prophets together. We don't know who these prophets were, whether they were ex-prophets of Baal, because at this point the prophets of Baal had been killed or driven out of the land. Uh, we don't know if some of them still worshipped and served Baal. It is obvious, as we're going to see in a moment, to Jehoshaphat that these guys really do not serve the Lord. So whoever these prophets are that he gathers together, it's very obvious that they don't really serve God. It says about 400 men and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up. For the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. They knew to say anything the king wanted them to say. That's the kind of prophets they were. They weren't really seeking God's direction. They were seeking favor with the king. Verse 7, so Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Isn't there still a prophet somewhere who is really serious about serving God that we might be able to gain direction from him? And I love King Ahab's response. Look at verse 8. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one, Micaiah, the son of Elam, or Elah, but whom, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me but evil. So Joseph had said, let not the king say such things. So Ahab said, I hate this guy because he's always telling me bad things. It's like when you get upset at someone who's always giving you the opposite advice that you want to hear. 
who's always telling you you can't do what you want to do. And whenever he would go to Micaiah and he would share with him, he was telling him the opposite. So he says, I hate this guy. I don't want to call him over. I don't want to talk to him. And Jehoshaphat is kind of appalled by that. It should have been Jehoshaphat's first clue. See, in this whole adventure he's about to enter into, his life will almost come to an end, Jehoshaphat's. It will come as clo- he will come as close to dying and not die as you possibly can. And he's kind of ignoring some things here for the sake of his friendship with King Ahab. I wonder if we do that. I wonder if for the sake of looking good in front of people. Or for the sake of those who are around us and, and not looking like we're those crazy fanatical Christians. If we don't sometimes make the right decisions, if our, our decisions are tainted a little bit. I think even though Jehoshaphat is a godly man and it's said of him that he followed in the way of his father Asa and he served God all the days of his life. That's a great thing. But here he's compromising just a tad and it almost costs him his life. And so, verse 9 The king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of this guy, quickly. Verse 10. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each one on his throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. This was before, well, Jerusalem was up in Judah. Samaria is the headquarters down in Israel. And all of the prophets prophesied before them. So Jehoshaphat puts on his robes looking like a king. Ahab puts on his robe, he's looked like a king. And now they're sitting in front of the people and all these prophets that have already prophesied are coming before them and telling them what they want to hear to go ahead and go. And Zedekiah, verse 11. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah, had made horns of iron for himself and he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. So this guy, Zedekiah, he's a prophet. And he comes over and he makes these horns of iron. I don't know how long it took him to make them. But now he's got them in Syria and he's putting them on his head probably and going around, you're going to gore the Syrians. Go gore them and tear them up. And he's got these horns. It's all dramatic and it's all false prophecy. But it's really dramatic and I'm sure it looks really good. And they looked and thought, oh man, this is going to be great. We are going to go after them. Verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah said to him, saying, now listen. The words of the prophet, which is one according, uh, encourage the king. Please let your words be like the words of one of them and speak encouragement. So he takes Micaiah and he says, listen, Micaiah, please, just one time, tell me the same thing everybody else is saying. He wasn't really interested in whether or not God really wanted him to go. He was just interested in getting told what it was that he wanted to hear and listen It will be his destruction. The Bible says that God's desire for us is to bring us life and life abundantly. The plan that God has for you is a good plan. That which God has given you, whether it's one talent, five talents, or ten talents, in all of the aspects of your life is what God has for you. He has empowered, He's enriched your life with those things, and we need to learn to be content with what God has given us and what he has brought to us rather than trying to push for other things. And now he's trying to manipulate him into saying what he wants him to say. So, Micaiah, look at verse 14. Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, I will speak. 
Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go, prosper, for the Lord will deliver you into the hand of the king. Have you ever been trying to persuade someone who's making a very poor decision, and you're not getting anywhere with them? Whatever it might be, and you finally feel like telling them, All right, go ahead, go do it. In a kind of sarcastic tone, Well, one of two things is either happening in here with Micaiah. Number one, he wants to finish off Ahab. He knows he shouldn't go, so he says to him, go ahead and go. God's going to prosper you. Go ahead. It's going to be a great time. Have great victory. And he wants to just finish this guy off. Or he's being sarcastic, which I think is the case. He's like, you know, probably in an overly sarcastic tone. Go ahead and go. You're going to prosper. It's so sarcastic that immediately Ahab realizes that this guy is lying. Verse 15, then he made him come to the king, or excuse me, verse 16. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So now Ahab says to him, I've got to make you swear again that you tell me the truth. Then he said to him, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. So he says, these are sheep that are scattered. There's no one to lead them, Ahab. You're not a leader when leading God's people. They were going to be scattered. He said, let each one go home in peace. Verse 18, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said to him, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. And now he, he tells them what is a strange story to us. It's an account of a vision that he saw up in heaven and that the, the angels and demons present themselves before the throne of God. And it is a strange account because we don't usually think of demons being up in heaven. But remember this, the Bible says that in the last day, Lucifer will be cast down from heaven, really banished from heaven. He's already was cast down when he was fallen, but there will come a day when he will be banished from heaven and will no longer be able to go before the throne. He is able to go before the throne and do what? What does the Bible say? He is the accuser of the brethren. So the enemy, his demonic hosts, are able to come and bring accusations. And there will come a day when he is cast down, according to Revelation chapter 12, and he will not have access to the heavens anymore. We also know in the book of Job that the sons of God, meaning the angels, presented themselves before God, and Lucifer was there with them. And the Lord said to Lucifer, what have you been doing? It's kind of like they pick up a conversation. How are you doing? What have you been doing? Lucifer said, well, I've been going back and forth on the earth. And he said, well, have you considered my servant Job? Did you ever note that, that God brings up Job? You know, you ought to hope that if God is ever talking with Lucifer again, it doesn't bring you up. (laughs) Job said, and Lucifer said, you know, you know the rest of the story that, that, hey, it's only because of your blessings that, that, that Job is serving you. Take those away and he won't serve you at all. So we do know that Satan and his angels, his demons, have the ability to be able to approach heaven. So with that out of the way, only one more problem that we're going to have here, and that is that a demonic spirit goes to do the work of the Lord in this chapter. And that's a little bit difficult for us, because we think, how is it that demons can actually do the work of God? But remember, all things work together for the good 
to those that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. And God even uses the demonic forces to bring about his good. Think about Peter. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan's been asking for you. That's something you never want to hear from God, by the way. (laughs) Satan's been asking for you. Really? What's he been saying? Well, he wants to sift you like wheat. That's nice. But don't worry, Peter, I've prayed for you. And if that were you, you'd say, oh, good. The Lord's prayed for me. I have no problem. And then Jesus says, when you're restored. What? I, I thought you prayed for me. What do you mean when I'm restored? When you are restored, strengthen your breath. So God allows Lucifer to sift Peter like wheat, which we know is the temptation to deny Jesus. And he failed that. And he was restored by the Lord. But we know that God used the enemy in what he was doing in order to bring good about in his life. So let's pick it up here. It says, and now you're interested in what the rest of it says, aren't you? It says, Then Micaiah therefore heard the word of the Lord and saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all of the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? And now we see the sovereignty of God at work. There's this tension in the scriptures between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Not only is there tension in the scriptures, there's tension in the church and different denominations and men that get on different sides of the issue. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And the truth is that the scripture teaches both of them. They teach God's sovereignty And they teach the free will of man. And how to reconcile that tension? I don't have a clue. Maybe there are men that are much smarter than me that do have a clue. But in all the time that I've tried to study it, I just have to go, you know what? I believe that God is completely sovereign. God does what he wants. And I also believe that God has given me a will. And that I can choose to follow him and to do things. But here God doesn't want Ahab to continue. And so God wants Ahab himself to make the decision to go to war. It says in the middle of verse 20, So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? He said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and shall prevail and go and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah, whatever his name is, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the spirit go from the Lord or spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day. When you go into the inner chamber and hide, so the king, in other words, you're one day, you're going to be hiding here pretty soon, Zedekiah. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city of Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, take heed. All of you people. Now, this is a very important point in our study. King Ahab doesn't want to hear what Micaiah says. And so Micaiah then attacks, excuse me, Ahab attacks Micaiah for bringing him this word. I've seen this happen 
over and over again. Where someone is really trying to persuade somebody the right thing to do, really encouraging them, and they suddenly get attacked by the individual that they're trying to help. They all of a sudden get slandered by them. And if you've ever been slandered, you know what a harmful thing that can be. King Ahab has the power to lock Micaiah up. For you and I, people have the power to try to destroy us with their words. And if you really have never been slandered or you're not slandered enough, just become a pastor. And I'll tell you what, it'll happen. A few years ago, we had a a video program that was on at midnight and people from our church would man the phones uh, during this video program and, and we took it over. Another group was doing it and then we took it over and there was a gentleman in town that had kind of told them they were running short on money and he approached us and said, why don't you guys take it over? People from your church can man it. You can put a God spot in there. Uh, you can get you know a DJ to go or you know someone from your fellowship to go in and kind of introduce the videos. And I said, great, let's do it. And so we took it over. But the guy who was running it didn't know that we were coming down to take it over. He thought we were just going to give them money and that he was going to continue to do what he was going to do. We were making some changes as well as giving them some money. When we got there, they were upset. And just it was a lack of communication more than anything else. And so we finally worked it out. You know, we finally said, well, you know, we really feel this is something the Lord wants us to do. But if you guys want to continue to do it, then we just won't be involved. And they finally said, go ahead and do it. And we took it over and did it. A few years later, I'm talking to somebody who says, hey, I, I ran into a friend of mine and he hates you. I said, really? Well, that's nice. Oh, it's nice to hear that. Somebody hates you. He says, he hates you. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, he said a few years ago, you guys took over a video program. I said, yeah, we did. Straight ahead. This is what it was called. He said, well, he said that you came in there and you had a looker on your arm. I said, a looker on my arm? What's a looker? He said it was a good-looking gal you had on your arm and you strutted yourself around and you took control. Now, the guy that was going to do the introduction to the videos had his wife with them when they came in. And I assure you, she was on his arm. His arm. The only looker you'll ever see with me is my wife, and that is all. And I listened to that, and and, and the rumor kind of came back through a couple more people, and it's a real difficult thing to deal with. Because you think... I really want to get there. Who told Who told you that? I'll take care of it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up from the pulpit. I'm going to tell everybody. So everybody knows what this guy is doing. And of course, you back away from that because you know that God is the one who is supposed to defend you completely. But how easy it is when someone begins to tell us what we don't want to hear to begin to attack that individual, to begin to get upset with the counselor who's telling you. Or the friends that you've gone to. And that's exactly what Ahab does when he throws Micaiah in prison. Micaiah says to Ahab, if you ever come back, well, then the Lord has not spoke to me. He just has great confidence that what he is doing is right. And when you are doing what is right before the Lord, you have great confidence in what God has told you. Now we have the account of Ahab's death. And once again, our contrast turns back to the two kings. And there's quite a contrast here. Ahab has his plan. See, he kind of figures something is up, that he might get killed here. And so he decides to go in civilian clothing, or at least like a private. But he wants Jehoshaphat to dress up in a kingly robe. And Jehoshaphat bites here. I don't quite know what was wrong with him. Verse 29. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramah Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, 
I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robes. In other words, you look like the general. I'm going to go in looking like a private. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of the chariot saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So 32 captains of the chariots went into battle looking only for Ahab to kill. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Now he's got 32 men bearing down upon him and no one else, and he cries out, Probably, I'm not Ahab. I'm Jehoshaphat. Verse 33, And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. So even though Jehoshaphat comes to the place where his life is almost over, because God's not done with Jehoshaphat, his life isn't over. There will come the day when he will die, but it's not now. He's a man who is seeking God and wants to serve God, but through a series of very foolish decisions. Why didn't Jehoshaphat... When Micaiah said not to go, why didn't he go? You know what, Ahab, you go by yourself if you want to, but I'm not going to go. Why did he continue to do that which he knew God didn't want him to do? And I don't know that we have all of the answers to that. But I think to some degree we've all done it. Because it is more convenient to continue on rather than moving away from it. And God still protected him. Jehoshaphat will leave with his life. Ahab, on the other hand... He protects himself by trying to make sure that he looks like a private. But look what happens. Verse 33. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Didn't even aim his bow. Just pulled it back and shot. Just at random. And the arrow had Ahab's name on it. And it hit right between the joints and the armor. And it was a fatal wound that he had. Why? Because when your number's up, your number is up. And Ahab's number here is up prematurely because of the judgment of God that God is bringing in his life. The calamity that he said would happen to him would never happen, never happened. But Ahab's life is finished because Ahab continues to do evil and will not lead God's people. And because he is seeking his own desires and his own way, disaster takes place in his life. Now, I'm not saying today that if you seek your own way and don't seek God, that you're going to die. That would be great motivation for us not to seek our own way, if that were the case. But I do believe this. I believe that if we seek our own way and we do not seek God's direction in our lives, that that is sowing to the flesh. And what does the Bible say about sowing to the flesh? If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you'll reap life. And when we seek our own way and just try to move forward and not really seek God and try to manipulate the circumstances to do whatever it is that we want to do, we put ourselves in a very difficult spot. I've got to think there are some here that are doing that. You've set your mind, you've set your course. 
You've decided this is what I'm going to do. You know it is not the right thing to do. Your friends, your family are telling you it's not the right thing to do. Maybe some of your friends rather strongly have, and maybe you, like Ahab, are even slandering them now. Maybe you are coming against them and attacking them because you're upset that they're not allowing you to do what you want to do. And listen, the truth here is, it's your life. You want to do it? Do it. But you will reap the consequences of what you are doing. If you want to do it, you know, no one is telling you that which we share with you from the pulpit, that which counselors share with you in a room, you know, we're never going to say, no, you can't do it. That Bible says it's lording over people. The Bible says don't do that. But live by example. We try to encourage you. But if you want to do it, you've got the right to go do whatever you want to do. But know this, that corruption will be the result of what you are reaping. And perhaps the Lord is speaking to you very specifically tonight. Maybe this evening is a warning to you that God is saying, don't do it. You know it's wrong. You know you're not supposed to do it. Years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago now, a couple come in to our office on a Tuesday morning and they let us know that they're going to get married. We, these, both of these individuals were in our church. We'd never seen them together before. So we asked them, how long have you known each other? And they said, a week. That's not an exaggeration. That's how long they said. And they said, but we really feel that God's calling us to both here at the fellowship and God's calling us to get married. And we said, you know, it might be good to wait a couple days. No, we said it might be good to wait, you know, six months to a year, maybe, you know, just to see, get to know each other. It's a good idea to know who you're marrying, just to get to know one another. But they refused. Now, we didn't marry them. We wouldn't marry them. We just said, you know what, we really, I wasn't going to do it. And I leave those decisions as to whether or not the assistant pastors marry individuals up to themselves as they talk with them. And none of them felt really that God was really saying to do it. So we wouldn't do it. And they went somewhere else to get married. That next Tuesday. So they get married within a couple of weeks. So they knew each other for a week. A couple weeks later, they get married. The Tuesday after they get married, the girl comes into the office on Tuesday morning. And she says, I hate him. Can I divorce him? And I said, no. You made married vows. She goes, well, the Catholic, they annul things. Can, can you guys annul the marriage? Like it never happened. You didn't want us to get married anyway. Can't you just kind of say some words and just make it go away? And within a matter of a few days, she had the marriage. She was, it was done. It was, she divorced. She went through and pressed it through. She was someone who wasn't really interested in what God wanted, but more interested in what she wanted. Now, maybe your decision now isn't that extreme. Maybe you're not a person that operates that fast with that much, you know, compulsion where you just kind of go and do it. Nevertheless, are you seeking God in the direction of your life? And can you honestly say that you have learned if God wants it for you, then you want it. If he doesn't want it for you, then you don't want it. You say, well, I can handle things. I can take care of things. I can, I can dress up like a private. I can make sure that I'm okay. But listen, the Bible says God's not mocked. Can you ever really run from God? An arrow randomly shot. There's 32 guys looking for him. They don't get him. But a random arrow, uh, uh, an arrow randomly shot hits him in the armor. It says, verse 35, Then the battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died in the evening. 
So Ahab is dead, and I'm sure they said good riddance to him. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city, every man to his country. So they retreated. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And someone washed the chariot at the pool in Samaria. Now this is significant because you remember we talked about Naboth in the beginning of our study. And Naboth, Naboth was set up by Jezebel and they took him outside of the city and they stoned him at the pool of Samaria. And God had said where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood as well. And so it says as someone washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So Ahab's life is finished at this point. A bad decision in just seeking God. Once again, I'm not saying that your life will end because of the decisions that you are making. Although, who knows, if you are not surrendered to God. And Ahab, well, he was a believer. Two things in closing. Number one, if God would respond to Ahab and through his humility respond in his life, when he was up to that point the wickedest man who had ever lived, I will guarantee you that God will respond to your humility as well. And if you humble yourself before him now and say, Lord, will you just forgive me? Maybe you've pursued your own way before and you're living within the consequences of it now. And perhaps God could put those things off or even remove those consequences from your life if you would but humble yourself. Humility moves God. Two things move God. Faith moves God. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And faith moves God. And humility moves God. And if you would but humble yourself before him today and say, Lord, will you forgive me? And number two, if you're in the process of making these decisions, you know, the Bible says in the book of James that if we say, I'm going to go to this city or that city and I'm going to do this and do that, that that's evil. But if we say, I'm going to go to this city if the Lord wills, that that is what we ought to say. Simply bringing the Lord into our equations and seeking him and being willing to listen to him as he leads us and guides us and directs us. May you walk in the direction of God. May the guidance of the Holy Spirit be evident in your life. And may you seek Him in all of the decisions that you make that you might submit your life to Him completely. Not partially. Not just changing a little bit because you fear God a little bit. But completely surrendering everything to Him. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word here. We thank you for the account that we have in the life of King Ahab. Lord, we realize that it's so easy to fall into this just kind of seeking our own way, seeking you after the fact, or like Jehoshaphat, moving on when we really know we probably shouldn't continue on. Lord, I don't know how you've applied this to the hearts and the lives of those who are here. I don't know how you've brought it about in them to speak to them, but I believe it's been in a heavy way in many of the lives that are here. We pray, Father, that you would now 
Touch our hearts. Cut us deeply that we might respond and pour everything out before you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray.